Good Bone Health makes active aging possible. Join us for inspiring conversations from diverse perspectives in osteoporosis, from patients, healthcare providers, caregivers, policymakers, researchers, advocates, and innovators. Protect your ability to live your best life. The information and opinions expressed in Bone Talk are not intended to replace the services of trained and qualified health professionals or to be a substitute for medical advice of physicians. You may review the National Osteoporosis Foundation's full medical disclaimer at nof.org. Hi everyone, I'm Barbara Hannah Grufferman, Bone Health Ambassador and Trustee of the National Osteoporosis Foundation. Welcome to another episode of Bone Talk. This podcast is the third in our three-part series on menopause and bone health. Menopause is a hot topic right now, and rightly so. Approximately 6,000 women in the U.S. reach menopause every single day. By 2020, 50 million women will be postmenopausal. And think this one over, because we are all living longer, most of us will spend over half our lives as a postmenopausal woman. Not only is menopause being talked about with increasing frequency, but the impact it has on the sexual life seems to be a hot topic of conversation, too. We know our audience wants to learn more about how this major life change affects them, inside and out, from head to toe, and boy, does it ever. So we're going to have a chat with a highly regarded expert on women's health. This podcast, as I said, is the third in our three-part series on menopause and bone health, and today we'll talk about what happens to our bodies when you go through menopause and the impact it may have on your sexual life and why you may not need to put sex on the back burner after all. Dr. Margaret Nostigal is Clinical Associate Professor, Department of OBGYN in the Reproductive Endocrine Division at NYU Langone Health. She is also a faculty advisor for the Violet Society Program, which is the mentor and career advisor program for NYU medical students. Margaret can often be heard on Sirius XM Doctor Radio and has appeared several times on Dr. Oz as well as other daytime shows. Margaret, welcome to this episode of Bone Talk. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Margaret, we've been talking a lot about menopause. As I said, this is the third episode that we've done. And in the first two episodes of the series, I hope everyone will tune into those. And we talked about menopause. We talked about its impact on bone health, what some of the treatment options are. And we covered a lot of ground. But we saved this topic for today because today we're doing a deep dive into a whole different area. And that's all about our sex lives. So, okay, we understand that a decrease in estrogen can cause bone loss as well as many other changes, right? But one change that also happens and one that women are not so eager to talk about with their doctors, not, not even with their partners, probably not even with their closest girlfriends, and that's about sex. So Margaret, how does menopause cause women's sex lives to slow down or even come to, which is so unfortunate, a screaming halt? Well, I think that this is a really important topic, and you're right. For some reason, people feel very uncomfortable talking about sex. They also feel really uncomfortable talking about vaginas. Not in my family. My family, vaginas are often the topic of conversation just because that's what I do. 
but and um, also you're in a family of other doctors too. I can just exactly. imagine your talks around the dinner table. I can, <laughs> I can just imagine when people come over, maybe they're a little, you know, bothered by this. But I think the point is that it really should be something that women should feel comfortable about and certainly ask their doctors feel comfortable to bring up any difficulty that they are having. And doctors should really be the ones to initiate the conversation. In my experience, when I do ask women and I ask just about all of my patients about vaginal health, patients are often really relieved to have the question asked because they really do want to talk about it. So I think that is one of our messages. Another question might be, why are we talking about sex when we're talking about bones? But really, it fits together because as we discussed, the lack of estrogen over several, several years can lead to bone loss. And so women who either went off estrogen for whatever reason they chose to go off and had many years without estrogen are the women that are presenting with low bone densities and a decrease in bone mass and a decrease in bone strength and presenting with osteopenia and osteoporosis. Well, those same women who have not been exposed to estrogen throughout this long period of time are the same women that are going to start to develop vaginal atrophy or vaginal dryness. And vaginal dryness can cause pain, pain in the vagina, can cause itching, it can cause burning. Of course, you want to rule out any kind of an infection. And by the way, lack of estrogen in the vagina can increase your chance of having a vaginal infection because it raises the pH, which allows other bacteria to come in. So it really makes sense that when you're talking about bones and bone loss, you're also talking about vaginas and vagina health. I think that's why it makes sense to talk about the vagina because vagina is fixable. A lot of the symptoms that women experience with a lack of estrogen can be alleviated or reversed with estrogen and, mm-hmm. and local estrogen. I'm not saying to take estrogen systemically for the body, but you can use vaginal estrogen. And there are other ways to reverse the vaginal dryness for women that either don't want to use any local estrogen treatment There are some over-the-counter products that people can use that can improve vaginal dryness. There are other ways, but my key message is there are ways that you can reverse these symptoms. So let's Mm -hmm. talk about them and let's treat them. One thing I love is how easily the word vagina just slips off your tongue. You know, you just talk about it like it's a body part that is like the elbow. And that is something Mm -hmm. that I feel we are so lacking in this society. Women are really hesitant to talk about anything sexual or use the word vagina. And it's so important that we start to not only, as we've been talking about when chatting during the other episodes, focusing on menopause, how we want to bring menopause out of the closet, bring it more into the open and into the light. And certainly we want to talk about women's sexual health and starting with their vagina because that's where it's all taking place. Of course, the the head has a lot to do with it too, as we all know. The brain has a lot to do with sex. Good sex or bad sex, but certainly it does start with the health of the vagina. And as we know, when you go through menopause and estrogen levels drop, that has, as you just pointed out, a big impact on the health of our vaginas. And then there is this whole generation of women who shied away from taking 
estrogen therapy or HT because there was a bad rap about it, which we took in detail in episode number two. And while I'm saying I'm not one of those people, because I was always open-minded at the time, I went through menopause and this was about 13 years ago. My symptoms were so minor that my life wasn't compromised. My quality of life wasn't compromised enough that my doctor didn't feel it was required. But now I have to tell you, looking back and knowing all of the positives that mm-hmm. HP mm-hmm. uh, brings, including brain health, as we now see in studies, right. and certainly its right. effect on the vagina and our bone health, because I do have low bone density, I actually regret that decision. I w- mm-hmm. wish I could rewind well, you've and done pretty revisit. well, Barbara. <laughs> Barbara, you've done pretty well with what you've done. But it, I, I think <laughs> so far, a really so good. good point. Right. And you make a really good point. And you make a point for women who are not in menopause yet and are trying to think about what they want to do and how they want to make decisions so they can learn from you and they can hear what you're saying and think about this for them. Because Mm -hmm. as we've talked about before, this decision is something that really, if you're going to start any type of hormone therapy, whether it's estrogen or estrogen plus anti-estrogen or estrogen plus progesterone, you're going to want to make that decision within about the first five years of menopause. So Mm -hmm. it is a conversation that's worth having. And I think it's great that you're making that point and that you're really alerting people that this is a decision that is an individual decision that they should really think about for them. But for the people that like you didn't, you know, 75% of women do have significant symptoms during menopause. So you are in the minority in terms of symptoms in menopause. And I think you were, were lucky about that. And some women the symptoms are excruciating and devastating. And some women are having 40 hot flushes a day and other women are having zero. It really shows the difference in person. But for those women who didn't elect to go on systemic estrogen therapy and didn't elect to go on local estrogen therapy and are experiencing any type of vaginal discomfort after excluding any infection, I think it's important to recognize that there are some good available agents that can alleviate and reverse the thinning of the walls, the lack of elasticity. There are agents that can actually restore it and bring the vagina back to the way that it was when estrogen was present. And for that, we really don't have to worry about the timing as we do for systemic treatment. So I think there are things that people can do. And I think it's important that we recognize that. And it is important that women hear this, that there are options. Again, I was like to say no one should suffer, not in this day and age. I love so that. many options I agree available. Completely. Right? And no one, unless there's some really good reason why you don't want to have sex. It's like every, again, we're all individuals and maybe there's a darn good reason. But if you, you know, want to continue having a, a rich sexual life with your partner or even partners and, oh, please, everyone be careful just because you're in midlife and you can't get pregnant anymore. Maybe if you got through menopause doesn't mean you should not be careful and have your partner wear condoms and the like. I just want to point that out. Just want to put it out there. We all know that STDs and the rise among people over 50, right, Margaret? 
Just want to put it out FBI, there. Con- yeah. Condoms are your friend. Safe, safe. Right, <laughs> safe right, sex right, is always. Right. But women, you know, you don't have to suffer. As Margaret was just talking about, there are options of both systemic, topical or local, and they're over the counter or by prescription. But sometimes I think Margaret would, and I'm sure you see this in your patients, that maybe they are experiencing painful sex because of vaginal dryness, right? And, and maybe then they've stopped having it because it's painful and it just perpetuates itself. Before you know it, two years have gone by and maybe this couple been married for 20, 30 years, still haven't had sex. So it's one of those things that we really want to stop you and say, no, really think about this because we also know that having a nice sexual life and women having orgasms is a very healthy thing. It's part of women's overall health and wellness. It can, assuming there's a happiness in your relationship, it's a way to kind of solidify your relationship and be close to your partner. There are so many good things that come with having a nice sexual life. So we really want to help our listeners to be comfortable in talking about it with your doctor, comfortable talk about it with your partner even. Because Margaret, as you and I were talking about recently before we started taping just now, sometimes you have to maybe rethink how you have sex. You want to reassess. Maybe you'll start to have sex a little differently than you did when you were in your 20s and 30s. Absolutely. No, please continue. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, I just think that that's, uh, and I'm sure you see this with your patients all the time, like they stopped having sex because it's painful, and then it continues because they haven't maybe taken the necessary steps to fix it, if you will. And then well, what well, happens often, too, is then the partner, it becomes very complicated. And I interviewed a lot of women for my last book about this, my whole chapter on, on sex is that then their partners start thinking, oh, they're not attracted to me anymore, or it can all slow down and come to a screeching halt. Well, it is so complicated and so multifactorial. I can't emphasize enough that it's not just about the vaginal health. It's not just about the libido. It's the situation. It's partners. Most of the research that has been done on sexual function in women who are aging is some limited, but it's relationship bent. It's also person bent. It's, as you said, it's brain. It's all dimensionist. It's what is happening to the person, to the person that they're with, whatever their partner is at the same time. For instance, are the kids getting older, going, leaving the house? Are there children involved? Are there not children involved? What's happening to an aging parent? What are the mm-hmm. other stresses? Is there a job change? Is there a lack of a job? Is there a financial concern? There are other stressors that are occurring around the same time, which can also have a dramatic effect on libido. So there's a hormonal component. There are physical components. There are situation components. And so it's also involved. Yes. And you and I both read the same article that was in the New York Times recently with a very eye-catching headline about how women, when their sex lives slow down in midlife, maybe, hint, hint, maybe it's not their 
fault, which mm. was very intriguing because I, first of all, let's get the word fault out of the conversation. It's nobody's fault, but there, as you pointed out, there are circumstances, physical and circumstantial that can cause one's sex life to change, change or even become non-existent. But in the case with this article, very interesting, they did point it all to their male partners and talk about what's going on with them, which we don't often talk about. The male partners are also aging. They're also in, assuming in midlife and beyond. And they might be on medications that could cause issues with their sexual health, or they might be ill. There are other factors that are going on in one's life that is much more complicated than just women experiencing a vaginal dryness because of menopause. Well, I think that you actually brought uh, this article to my attention, and I'm really happy that I read it. I think it's a really interesting article that looked at uh, questionnaires from women. And I think just to summarize, one of the things that was so interesting was that although 78% of the women who responded said that they had an intimate partner, whether male, female, or other, only 49.2% had what they would consider to be active sex lives. So that right there is really interesting. They attributed the lack of, I put in quotations, a sex life because we don't know how they define a sex life, right? We don't know mm -hmm. what that means. But they, mm -hmm. they attributed the lack either because of a loss of a partner or because life became too complicated or they were mm -hmm. too tired, tired. Um, or, or about right? About a fourth said that it was because of their partner's physical health condition, whether they had developed heart disease or diabetes or other factors. About 10% said it was because of their own physical health, that they were really unable to engage in physical and sexual activity. And actually, a proportion of them said that their decreased desire and decreased libido was actually from excess alcohol or drug use, which was very interesting, and about 20% attribute it to their partner's lack of desire rather than their own desire. So in keeping with the conversation that we've been having, there are a variety of factors that can attribute to this lack of sexual function. And also, we don't know what type of sexual function people are talking about and engaging in. You know, one thing that you had said to me is that this can often change. What was present, you know, in the 20s and 30s may not be what is keeping people happy and healthy as they get older. But I think what's important is to have the conversation with either your partner or other and to really try to help yourself be as happy and healthy as possible. And mm -hmm. if a physical change such as a reversal of vaginal dryness can be helpful, then I think that's a great option and something that if you can safely do, you should do. And there are ways to do that. And I think that another way is to look for what is the cause for this loss of desire? Is it because of a hormonal decline? Is it because of pain? vaginally that could be reversed. And as I said, there are ways to reverse that that are not just estrogen, even though estrogen can be helpful. What is the cause? And if we try it could to be plain what the cause old, is, yeah, right. it could be plain old boredom. It could be anything. You know, could but be, what is you know, the cause? Maybe you're just then, bored. Yep. Yeah, and then how can we change that cause? And how can we do something 
to make it less of a lack of desire and more of a desire. So, and I, and I, I think, think, you know, just recently there's some more medications to help, but it doesn't have to be medication. I mean, I think you and I both agree that one, it's individual, but two, you wrote a lot about ways that you can spark a situation and do things different. And so I think that just looking for what are the situational factors and how can we reverse those? I mean, sometimes there's some terrible situations that unfortunately just can't be reversed. So, yeah, you know, true. in, in a situation and sometimes but then you reassess, factors. Margaret. This is when I say everybody, just like I like to reassess how I work out. I like to reassess what I'm eating periodically every couple of years. Is this still working for me? I ask myself, well, maybe I need mm. to make a couple of tweaks because I'm getting mm. older. I'm, I'm five years older now than I was five years ago. Let me make tweaks. Maybe I need more of that nutrient. Or Do you see what I'm saying? I feel the same way about my sexual life. And everybody should. It's part of your life. It's part of your overall health and wellness. It's a part of it. So why not reassess it like you do everything else in your body? And one thing I'd like to point everyone in the direction of a fabulous book written by an incredible person who I had the great pleasure to interview for both of my books. Her name is Esther Perel, and she wrote Mating in Captivity, which is, was just really groundbreaking. Seminal book about relationships with a real focus on people who have been together for maybe decades and how to keep the relationship alive. And, and she agrees with me. You have to reassess. And you have to look and say, is this still working for me? If, it, if you're not having sex, then the answer is no, it isn't. And so if you love this person and are planning on staying with this person, let's assume that's, that's the assumption, then you need to look and say, okay, this is not working. Let's first look at the physical, okay, the vaginal dryness or even issues with then sex, sexual health. Let's look at what can we address there but then look at all the other issues. You know, what are the, as we pointed out, what are the stressors in our lives? Are we really taking the time to devote to sex? A quote I use from Esther Perel constantly is, good sex is planned sex. It's not spontaneous like when you were 25 or 30. It's planned. Thursday night at 6 o'clock, my, my husband and I, we're going to go and do this and do that and have a romantic dinner, whatever, whatever it is. Plan it, everybody. Take the time to plan it. And I really think people should read her book. It was absolutely incredible. The other reassessment, and we kind of touched on it, is not all sex has to be about intercourse. That does not have to be the ultimate result. And that's something that people have to get more comfortable with. So that is a reassessment of how you enjoy your sexual life with your partner. It's, you know, there are other things that you can be doing. Explore. You're an adult. You can. You have the freedom to do it. So go ahead and do it. I think you've really made yourself quite knowledgeable about this area and looking at alternatives and ways to shape and change. And I think one thing that can be helpful is looking for these sources, looking for your source, looking for other sources, because you're not alone. This, mm -hmm. this, this is something that many, many, many people, not just women, men, women, other, are experiencing. And so I think the fact that there are options 
There are ways of tackling different obstacles. What can we do from a hormonal standpoint? And what can we do from a physical standpoint? Fortunately, there are many experts who can help with the other aspects that you just mentioned. But for those, you know, specifically looking at the vagina, I think that over-the-counter moisturizers can be helpful. Some hyaluronic acid has been shown to help reverse some of the aging effects. Estrogen, whether we use a tablet or whether we use an estrogen cream, can be really helpful in reversing those effects. And just recently, there's a new agent, which is DHEA, which can be used vaginally, again, which can convert into estrogen within the vagina and can really help not only with the vaginal dryness and the symptoms of vaginal dryness and lowering the pH of the vagina, but also about increasing libido and helping with the actual desire aspect of this change that occurs in later menopause. And then also, although expensive, there are some laser treatments that are available, that are completely non-hormonal, that can really reverse the physical effects of the lack of estrogen on the vagina over time. So I think incorporating this whole body experience, which is reaching out to people to help with the external factors, as well as the internal factors, such as the physical changes and the hormonal changes that take place in menopause can be really beneficial in terms of maintaining your sexual health and function as one gets older. So I think that this is sort of a holistic approach to taking care of all aspects. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just so important to me personally to make sure that people don't just shut down their sex lives. And I'm talking about men and women because of some of these issues that are, you know, almost inevitable. Uh, stress in life, the physical factors, everything we talked about, really, and that they just look at ways to address the issues and then also look at new ways to have to, to keep sex a part of their lives. And I think that's, for me, I know I'm about to ask you what are the two or three things you'd like our listeners to take mm-hmm. away from this chat today, Margaret, but the, definitely the number one thing I would like them to take away is that, as you said, they're not alone. Oh, gosh, no, not at all. And that aspect of your relationship or and your overall health and well-being is still important to you. And I hope it is. Then just find the tools to help you to keep it a part of your life for the long term. So Margaret, what, what are the things you, you would like our listeners to take away? Well, I love what you just said. The two things that I would say is one, is don't suffer and go seek help. And two, there are a lot of good agents that can help. So please feel comfortable having that conversation so that you can get some help. And really, everyone is different. You are an individual that's going to have a different reaction to all of the above that we've talked about. So I think the message is don't suffer, go get help and go get go talk to your doctor and have a conversation and see what's right for you and make sure that you remember this that sex is 
fun. <laughs> Margaret, <laughs> thank you for sharing your incredible knowledge about menopause mm. and its impact on our sex lives with all of us. And thanks for taking this deep dive into sex with me. It was, it was a lot of fun. Very informative. Thank you. Thank you so much for talking to me. I learned about other aspects that I didn't know about. So it's been great talking with you. Everyone, this is a three-part series, so please be sure to check back at NOF.org or wherever you're accessing this podcast for all of the episodes. And you can learn more about menopause by going to the North American Menopause Society website at www.menopause.org. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Bone Talk as much as I enjoyed talking with our wonderful guest, Dr. Margaret Noctegal. We heard Dr. Noctegal's insights into how menopause can affect our sex lives, but we want to hear from you too. So please visit www.nof.org and go to share your story and tell us what's happening in your world because the more we stay connected, the stronger we will be. For more information about how to keep your bones strong and healthy for life, visit nof.org regularly for up-to-the-minute information. I know you enjoyed this episode, and I know you learned some new things too. So please do two things. One, subscribe to Bone Talk so you never miss an episode. And two, please share this information with all your friends and family. And maybe make a small donation to NOF so we can keep these programs and research going. Until next time, remember this. We can't control getting older, but we can control how we do it. Thank you and bye for now. Thank you for joining Bone Talk, the National Osteoporosis Foundation's podcast that shares information, strategies, and inspiration about good bone health that makes active aging possible. To learn more about bone health, to become involved and or help fuel NOF's mission with financial support, visit nof.org.